Good evening. Just made a couple of observations. Um, the worship service sure seems a lot shorter when, you're, when you have to speak. Just putting it out there. And I've noticed that the Wednesday uh, worship service is a lot shorter than the Sunday morning worship service. So if anybody asks you if there's a difference between speaking between Wednesday and Sunday, the worship service is shorter. If you'd open your Bibles with me to um, Mark chapter 8. Uh, there was a handout that went around that has our text on it and a bunch of lines. So um, it's not as detailed as the last one that I gave you, um, but it's real easy to follow along. So um, if you don't know what to do with those lines, you can number one through ten. As an elementary teacher, try to keep it easy. Um, typically, I have three points, but there are ten things I would like you to write down. So um, as you're getting ready to do that and your Bible's open, would you please stand with me uh, just in honor of reading God's Word? Um, I'm in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, excuse me, my Bible just stuck. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint it that you would open our hearts to receive from you today, that we would walk away being challenged to think about our faith, to repent from our sin, and to return to you. God, I pray that we would live uh, the life that you have called us to do, that people would see the light uh, and the salt in our lives and come to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, I've noticed... Uh, I, if you don't know who I am, um, I have uh, pastored a, ch a church. I pastored Carleton Assembly for about nine years, and I discovered a pattern in my preaching. Typically, when I preach, it's typically something that God is dealing with me, and so I just share it with you. And uh, uh, I go through spurts. I remember um, when I first started pastoring, it was all about commitment, commitment, and my sermons seemed to follow that path, and then uh, I went on faith, and then I was on grace for a long time. Those are probably some, some sermons, themes that you've heard when I've shared here at Woodland, um, which I've got to make a note of because I've shared enough where I've got to be careful not to double up. And I've heard that before. He's preached on that before. But if it sounds familiar, it's typically because God is dealing with me on some issue. And um, if you were here Sunday morning when I shared about Encounter Jesus, it's about perception. I have this um, whole issue of how we see things uh, in life. So um, you pay attention to the media at all. You know, you get all these news left of political on the political left and the political right. Those who hate Trump, those who love Trump, blah blah blah. You know, there's all these different issues that are going on. Uh, if you look in uh, the news, there always seems to be bad news. Um, and Christians get very passionate about 
politics and issues and stuff like that. And so I'm just taking a step back and wanting to be passionate about Jesus. And that's been kind of my perception of uh, what I'm doing. And so I titled my sermon called Questions of Balance. And it's kind of a play. If you're old like me, you might recall a, a rock group called the Moody Blues. Um, they were out a little bit before my time, but I was amongst the group that wanted to, uh, I didn't want to be up with the Joneses that kept up with the popular music. I wanted music that was deep. So the Moody Blues were deep. And uh, they had this album out called A Question of Balance. And it kind of dealt with this issue of, you ever have time in your life when you feel small? Does anybody like that? Um, I've had kind of a bad week where big things have happened, and I have felt kind of small. And uh, that brings questions. And of course, the question that comes up first is, why? Right? Anybody out there do that? And so the album cover on the question of balance has this, it's like a smoke swirl. Somebody saw it on my Facebook page and said it looked like sushi. And out of the smoke swirl, there's this uh, white-haired figure that's coming out with his hands reaching out, and there's different things on this uh, uh, illustration of, you know, uh, the nuclear missiles and poverty and all these kinds of things. And why is there all this bad stuff happening in the world? And then underneath, there's people that are on the beach and they're not really paying attention to the serious issues of the day, which is right up my alley because it's deep. And the first lyric in the song question goes, uh, why do we never get an answer when we're knocking on the door to all these different serious issues? And how many know 30, 40 years later, there are still serious issues today that the questions are being asked? So that's kind of where we started. And the wonderful thing about Facebook is somebody posted something about an article that came from crosswalk.com. And this lady by the name of Cindy McMenamin had this great article called 10 Questions That Jesus Asked. So I'm gonna share with you a lot of that article. So the framework isn't mine, the framework is hers. Uh, but it just kind of deals with this whole idea about questions. I love questions. I love the question why, because a lot of times when bad things happen, it's like, why God are you allowing this to happen to me? You know, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done for you? And how many know the story of Job, right? We love the story of Job because it says, Job was a righteous man, and God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> okay, lucky Job. And then all these bad things happen to Job, and his friends are trying to encourage him and tell him why, thing, why these things are happening, because he must have sinned, and so therefore he needs to get right with God. And Job is saying, no, that's not it. And so as the story goes along, Job starts going, God, why aren't you there to, to back me up? Why aren't you pleading my case? And I love Job. Uh, in the story, God comes out of the whirlwind and says, starts asking you, prepare yourself. I'm going to ask you, where were you when earth's foundations were laid? Where were you when these things happened? You know, who are you to question me? And what happened is Job's perception, his perspective changed. All of a sudden, 
The answer wasn't as important. When God showed up, that was enough. And very shortly after that, the story of Job ends. And, you know, my daughter pointed out it kind of ends abruptly. You know, uh, you know, after that, he has more children than he had before. He has more money than he had before. And life is better than it ever was. You know, it's like, well, what about the first children that died? That's not the question you need to ask for, Job. But it ends abruptly. Why? Because God showed up and that was enough. And I was wondering if there's anything like that in the New Testament of Jesus asking questions. Because like I said, I had a hard week. You know that uh, many of you have been praying for my brother, and I really appreciate that. Um, he has, uh, he's dealing with cancer, just had surgeries out of the hospital. He's recovering from, that, from all of that. But he has to, again, go through a series of chemo. He's not out of the woods. And we just really uh, covet your prayer. And this week I got a, uh, not this week, last week, I got a uh, message that one of my former students was in a terrible accident. He is a maintenance worker at a Bible camp, and the house that he was working in, the propane tank exploded, and uh, he got airlifted to University of Minnesota, I mean, University of Michigan, with uh, 90, 90, with burns over 90% of his body. And so if you could remember him in prayer, I would appreciate that as well. His name is Dave, and... Uh, these are big things that happen. And when big things happen, you feel small and powerless to do anything about them. People are always asking God why. And God comes back and was asking Job. I noticed that Jesus asks questions too. There are over 307 times where Jesus asks questions in the Bible. And I thought rather than ask 307 questions, I got 10 that I'm going to give you. So the first one, we start right here. And this is probably, I, I say this every time I, I preach when I have a scripture, it's probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible today. Um, I love this, this scene because one of the things about the Bible is it's so, it rings so true. It's so real when you read it and you put human beings in it. It sounds like it just, I can be there. And what happened is Jesus sent his disciples out, if you remember, two by two, to go and proclaim the gospel and cast out demons and do all these things in his name. And so they come back, and they're reporting back to him, right? Who do people say that I am? Isn't that cool? How many think it would be cool to be a disciple then? You're sitting on the mountaintop with Jesus. You're just kind of hanging out. You're excited about all. It's like when the Lions win the game, you know, you got you can you got something to talk about, you know, and you're excited and you're sharing all these, these glory stories, right? And uh, Jesus asked this question, who do people say that I am, right? And it's great because you're in the know, right? You know who Jesus is and the other people don't know who Jesus is, so they're trying to figure it out. Well, some say he's a prophet. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Isn't that cool? what does Jesus do? He turns it on them. And who do you say that I am? And that's your first point. Who do you say that I am? Now, they've been with Jesus for a little while, right? They've seen Jesus do some extraordinary things, right? They've done some extraordinary things in his name, right? 
But what's Jesus making them do now? He's making them think and making them own it. It's like they're crossing a Rubicon here. You know, you, there's no going back. And so Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Every one of them know who Jesus is. Every one of them. But it comes a point they have to say it out loud. And I love Peter being the first one. You know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, wait, mine doesn't say that. It says it in Matthew, Matthew 16. Go look it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here he says, you are the Messiah. Peter steps out and he says it. He articulates, he says what everybody else is thinking and is afraid to say. Peter has that bold kind of faith. He's willing to step out. But when he said it, can you imagine what the atmosphere was that's said out loud? The implications that go with that statement. He is the Messiah. He is God's anointed one. He is the one who God sent. He is the Word of God. God's Son incarnate. He is who He says He is. Take a moment and let that just marinate. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That all things were created through Him, and by Him nothing was made that was made. There in the presence of Almighty God in the flesh. Who do you say that I am? Doesn't that change the perspective of things that you face? If Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, if He is who He says He is, doesn't that change every single thing that you face? It doesn't matter how big your problem is. God is bigger. Amen? What we as Christians have to get a hold of is we need to back away from the political spectrum a little bit. We need to back away from the world is upside down a little bit. We need to back away from uh, the world is falling apart. We need to back away that we have no control in our lives and our finances and our jobs. We're just, we're just enough. We need to back away from all that and realize that Jesus is God. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is who He says He is. And all this stuff that He has been doing is for a reason because He has come to establish His kingdom on earth. Who do you say that I am? It's interesting. I'm going to go Moody Blues again here a little bit. That in that song, it's got a fast tempo, you know, how can we never get an answer? And then there gets kind of this melodic part of the song. And the first line in that melody part of the song is it says, I'm looking for someone to change my life. 
I love it because you have all these people who are looking at these problems in the world and saying, you know, I need someone to change my life. I need someone to do a miracle in my life. I got news for you, Moody Blues. <laughs> 40 years later, if you're paying attention, Justin Hayward. I don't even know if he's still around. Is he still around? I don't know. I got good news for you. Jesus is the answer to the questions that you've been asking. And we in the church need to understand that we have questions too, but our questions need to be in balance. And Jesus is asking those questions to balance us out. It's okay to ask why. It's okay. It's okay to ask God, where are you? Or why weren't you here at this time when I needed you most? Why didn't you answer my prayer when I called out to you? It's okay to answer, ask those questions. But understand that the answer is always Jesus. He is the son of the living God. And the cool thing about this, being with those disciples, and I'm going to get ahead of myself, but that's okay. Gets me emotional when I say this. The coolest thing about those disciples, as they articulated what they all knew, who Jesus was, is the thought that he chose me. He chose me to be here with him at Caesarea Philippi. He chose me to be one of the first ones to understand who he is. He chose me to follow him. The son of the living God, the creator of the universe, the word of God, God in the flesh. There's power in that statement. As we talked about encountering God, there's power where he is. There's power to change your life in his presence. So take those problems, those issues, those things that are bigger than you, and take them to God. He is big enough to handle it. Oh, well, you don't understand. Mike's brother has cancer. Mike's friend was in an accident. He's got, he's got serious issues. God doesn't have time to be messing around with my. Yes, he does. He does. Take your issues to him. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? And if you say that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you realize that he is God in the flesh, all of a sudden your perspective changes about the issues that you deal with daily. That's why we have joy that, has, that passes all understanding, peace that passes all understanding, and joy every day. Why? Because we know God is with us. What did Jesus say? He will never leave us or forsake us. Yea, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Second question. This is a story in Matthew 21, 22. And I'm just going to reference it real quick because I didn't put it in my notes. I want to make sure I'm not telling you anything wrong. Matthew 21, Verse 22. Okay, this is where Jesus cursed the fig tree. 
and the disciples were amazed um, that the tree had withered. And Jesus responds to them talking about faith. Um, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't the, the father with the demoniac, because I got that as a reference as well. So anyway, uh, in verse 22, the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Because that is not natural, right? So he cursed it the day before, the next day it withered. That's not natural. Of course, he hasn't seen my lawn. <laughs> it seems like that's... Anyway, anyway. Moving along. Jesus replied, and told, he says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, the coolest thing about this reference is this Sunday, we went out to visit my brother-in-law in Holland. Uh, his wife is a pastor of a church at En Gedi, and they had a guest speaker who preached on this verse. He was talking about little faith and small faith and about the difference. And God tells us that if we have small faith, the faith of a what? Of a mustard seed, we can tell the mountain to go into the sea. And he contrasted with little faith where uh, Jesus asked uh, his disciples, why did you have so little faith? Which, mean, which is not an amount, it's a lack of belief. That little faith is a lack of belief. Where a small faith is, it doesn't have to have a lot of belief because it's not about you, is it? It's about who? It's about God, right? And so what we have to understand is that um, when we pray, it's not about our ability or our faith or how spiritual we are. It's about how big God is. And so we have to get to that point in our faith to realize that. That needs to be our perception. What do we do when we have prayers that aren't answered or that aren't answered the way that we think they should? We think there's something wrong with us, don't we? Well, you know, I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. And this isn't happening. Okay? Going to church, reading your Bible, and praying, those are all good things, aren't they? So why is this not happening? Well, it's not a magic formula, is it? You know, we don't pull a rabbit out. I I'm just had a flash of bullwinkle. I'm sorry. I'm just a, I'm an adolescent. Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat, you know. Mr. Know-it-all. And he pulls out, it's a lion. He goes, oh, wrong hat. It's not, it's not about you. It's about him. Well, why didn't it happen the way that I thought it should? Why didn't it happen the way I wanted it to? Because maybe God has other plans. See, when we know the word, the word says, God knows the plans I have for you, right? I have plans that prosper you and not to harm you. God has plans. The creator of the universe has plans for you. Okay? So maybe you don't know it all up front. Maybe you don't know everything as it's about to happen. Maybe you don't know why things have to happen the way that they do. That's where you trust God. There was a saying that we used to have back in the day, I don't need to understand I just need to hold his hand. It goes back to, who do you say that I am? What do we talk about in the church all the time? First thing that we say back there in kids' zone, in kids' church, Jesus loves me. God loves you. You're very special to him. He chose you. 
uniquely. He died on the cross for you to redeem you so you could have a relationship with him. Do you believe this? Do you believe? And that's the question he asks us when we pray. Do we believe that God is able? Do we believe that God is willing? And even if he doesn't, are we not going to bow? Our perception, again, is not about what we, we just need to believe. The faith of a mustard seed, we can tell that mountain, go, go into the sea. Small faith. Big God. Follow that perception, that perspective. It changes the way that you look. It changes the way that you pray. It changes the way that you receive things from the Lord. I talk about trust and obey. The first part is the trust part. What did God tell Abraham to do? Go. Go and sacrifice your only son whom you love. Which wasn't the text, but Abraham's saying, but that's the son of the promise. <laughs> that's the whole covenant. That's everything that you and I have in our relationship. And God says, go sacrifice him as a burnt offering. No argument from Abraham. He gets up and goes. And really, you don't really know anything's amiss until Isaac says, hey, Dad, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? You know, well, you know, we all know you're the sacrifice. Abraham trusted God. But you know what? Isaac was still there when Abraham built the altar. Isaac trusted his father and trusted God. Who do you say that I am? And do you believe? You know, we live in a, in a world, in a society, where man can do amazing things. We were in Holland, and they were telling the story about the windmill in Holland. On, they have Windmill Island. Did you know that they created an island just for a windmill in Holland? It's also the oldest working windmill in the United States. That's what I said only. And the interesting thing about the windmill, as it was a working windmill in Holland, and they dismantled it piece by piece and shipped it over by boat and rebuilt it in Holland. I just think that's amazing. Okay? I can't put Legos back together, even with the directions of the, of the box. Man can do amazing things. Man went to the moon and came back again. More than once. So much so that by 19, what was it, 75, it was like, yeah, they went to the moon. <laughs> Big deal. Let's do something else. But we, we waffle when it comes to what God can do. Do you believe? Who do you say that I am? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is able? Do you believe that God is willing? Third question. If you missed the second one, the second one short, it says, do you believe? Third question. I love this one because it seems so simple. This one is found in John chapter 5. And it talks about the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And just to make the story short, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And there's a pool near the sheep gate where uh, when the waters were stirred, there were some healing properties there. So all... The, the invalids and the sick and the blind and the paralyzed were gathering there. And there was a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. 
and he asked him, do you want to get well? Now that's an interesting question. And the answer on the surface, of course, is, well, of course I want to get well. I'm at the pool, right? And his response is, well, I have nobody to take me down into the water so I can get well. He's been there for 38 years. I don't know, maybe there's a seniority of maybe his spot at the pool. You know, I don't know. Maybe he had a place where he was uh, collecting alms. Or, you know, there could be lots of reasons. But the question that Jesus asked made him focus on what would change in his life if he was to get well. Did he really want that? And a lot of times, we say that we want change, but we don't really. I remember when I was pastoring, I was a youth pastor, and then the same thing happened to me when I was pastoring a church. I had a lady in the church, two churches, different lady, same issue, um, who would come to me and say she wanted to pray for her husband because her husband wasn't serving the Lord. Okay? We do that. So I was at that church for seven years, and she would come for prayer, and we would pray, and all of a sudden, uh, lo and behold, her husband started coming to church. Everybody's excited, right? Within two years, she divorced him. Now, of course, I say she divorced him. I understand that there is more going on there than just blaming one person. Let's put that out there. I'm just talking about the situation. She wanted him to come to the Lord, wanted him to come to church, but then when she did, now they got out of the relationship. So, unusual story, same thing happened when I was pastoring in Carlton. Had a lady in the church praying for her husband, praying for her husband to come to the Lord, uh, praying for her husband to come sa get saved, to be the man that, that she married and to be the... the priest of the home, all that stuff, right? So we started praying and putting out the, the contact, working to try to win her husband. Short, long story short, husband gets uh, saved, starts coming to church, and then again, within a short period of time, there's a divorce. Do you really want to get well? Or is it just something that you want to ask for prayer for? Is it something that you want to get notoriety for or for people to know about you? Um, we used to have this back in the, in the 70s, uh, Pet Rock. You ever remember Pet Rock? You carry it out in your pocket. You know, somebody made a million dollars by putting a rock in a box and packaging it. Then they came out with this thing called a worry stone. Did you see those? Okay, it was a pocket rock you put in your pocket and you can worry. Sometimes we just like the worry stone. And Jesus has come up to you and saying, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And what happens is we have to think and say, that means i got to put away my rock. That means I might have to change. That means I might have to scoot over in my pew and share it a little bit. That means that I can't always be the one who's the victim anymore. You know? And again, I'm sure there are issues where much more than that. I'm just generalizing so that we can see this. Because when Jesus comes into the picture, understand that you will get well. And you don't have to go in the pool. He sat there for 38 years. His excuse was he couldn't get in the pool. Jesus shows up and says, do you want to get well? Take up your mat and walk. But it's the Sabbath. 
No more excuses. Jesus is here. The power is here. Do you want to get well? Reach out. Step out in faith. Rise up. Take up your mat and walk. Church, we got to be people of faith again. We have to understand that God is God. And quit putting him in this little box. And allow him to be the Lord of our lives. And step out and say, God, I want you to do this for me. Are you willing to go along? I'm willing to change. See, we're always looking, and again, preaching to myself, so we're always looking for God to change that person. When God really wants to do what? He wants to change this person. See? Our perspective is always, well, we got to win the loss, and we do have to win the loss. And people need to get saved, and they need to get saved. And Trump needs Jesus, and Obama needs Jesus. They do need Jesus. But church, so do you and I. And God has us. And so we need to see where he needs to change our lives. Do you want to get well? Fourth question. Oh, I'm sorry. The rich young ruler. This goes to motivation. Story of the rich young ruler. Um, he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have. <laughs> but the sad part of that verse is in 22 when it says, he went away sad, for he was a very wealthy man. And I postulate that he wasn't wealthy at all because he passed up on the true riches that Jesus promised him, go sell everything you have and you will have treasure in heaven. Do you really want to get well? Or do you just want to appear spiritual? Do you really want change in your life? Because change is messy. Change is messy. It's not, it's not really as nice and pleasant as you see it on screen and, and on TV or in the movies. Change is messy. Fourth question. Why are you so afraid? This goes back to question one. This story, of course, we all know, is when the disciples were in the boat and they were running to see a gallery and Jesus told them to go on ahead and he'll meet them. And there's a storm. No, that was Jesus walking on the water. That's the next verse, sorry. This is where Jesus is going on ahead. He had a long day of ministry and he was in the boat sleeping. That's, thank you. Um, and there was a storm, and the disciples, as you know, uh, some of them were fishermen, and it says that they were afraid. And then they went back and they woke Jesus up and said, don't you care if we die? And you know what happened, right? Jesus gets up and with a word rebuked the winds, and then the sea calmed, and the disciples were like, oh, who is this with us? That, he can, that even the winds in the sea obey him. Now, if you've ever been out in the winds and the sea, you know there's very powerful forces. Jesus is very powerful. And he asked the question, why are you so afraid? Because he was in the boat. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life today, what you're struggling with. Maybe you have some big issues that are making you feel small. Okay? That's okay. 
God is big. And he's in the boat. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. God has this. But most importantly, God has you. And nothing bad is going to happen to you while he's in the boat. Oh, well, you don't understand. The storm I'm going through uh, is I'm having issues in my employment. There's been a change in leadership, and I'm scared about my job, and I've lost my job. So something bad did happen to me. Okay. Did it? Doesn't God have you in his hands? Okay. You're talking to someone who has been through that storm several times. And I don't know, it hasn't always worked out the way I wanted it to. <laughs> Most of the time I'm looking for new opportunities. But typically God brings me through that. And where I'm at is where he wants me to be. See that? Don't be afraid because he's in the boat and he has you. And he loves you. And he cares you for you. And he's the son of the living God. And he will never leave you or forsake you. And he said, promises you he will be with you always. And he says that you'll have tribulation for a little while. But don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. Why are you so afraid? He's in the boat. What did Job need? Job wanted answers. Job cried out for answers. But what did he need? He needed God's presence, didn't he? When God showed up, that was the end of the story. Church, he's right here with us. Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, behold, he is right here in the midst. We have a problem. We have a mountain. We have a giant. Let's come together in prayer and petition the Lord and seek his face and ask him, Lord, do something. Move my mountain. Lord, slay my giant. But most of all, Lord, be here with me and give me peace. God is able to do all things. And you are able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Without him, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do anything. Number five. This is when Jesus came walking on the water in Matthew 14. You know the story. Um, the disciples are struggling with the, the waves. They see Jesus walking across the sea on the water. At first, they think he's a ghost, and they're all afraid to say anything to him. And Peter cries out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Lord, can I play? And he says, come out. And Peter starts walking on water like it was dry land. Again, cool to be a disciple, right? Walking on water. But what does he do? He starts looking at the wind. He starts looking at the waves crashing over him. And he says, I can't walk on water. And he starts to sink. And he cries out, Jesus, save me. And the Lord caught him, pulls him up, and he says, question number five, why did you doubt? This is where we need really a change in perception. Because when I think of doubt, it's like, Lord, you can't. Well, if we look at question number one and we realize that he can, we know that we're still going to struggle with doubt, right? What's the doubt that we struggle with? I call it honest doubt and dishonest doubt. Dishonest doubt is, Lord, you can't. We all know 
Lord, he can't. Lord, he can't. Right? We all know he can. Honest doubt is, Lord, we don't think you will. Right? And so we need to get to that point of understanding it's not that you can't, Lord, but will you? And that's where we need to stand with the three Hebrew children and trust God. My God is able. I know that. My God is willing. That's the part I struggle with. But even if he doesn't deliver us, I'm not going to bow. I'm going to pray for my brother every day. I'm going to pray for Dave Stiles every day. I'm going to pray for these people, and I'm going to plead for them on, 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 on their behalf. God, intervene. But I'm still going to trust you. I'm not going to let doubt turn to unbelief and turn me away. Do you understand that? Why did you doubt? What happened when Peter doubted? It's very simple. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at his circumstances and situations. How many times do we do that? Every time in my life. Every time I struggle with doubt and unbelief, it's when I take my eyes off of Jesus and I start looking at my circumstances and my situation and I start saying stuff like, you can't do this, God. Dishonest doubt. Yes, he can. Sure he can. He can do all things. The question is, do I believe? Story of Elijah, Elijah on Mount Carmel. He came to the people of Israel and said, How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. And church, we need to do that every day. We need to do that today. Who am I going to serve? Am I going to keep my eyes focused on Jesus or am I going to look at my circumstances and my situations? Why did I doubt? Question number six. Do you still not see or understand? Mark chapter 8, verse 17. This is a story where um, Jesus, speaking metaphorically, tells the disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. <laughs> and they're going, oh, does Jesus have bread that we don't know about? You know, they're thinking he's talking about bread. And how many know he's not talking about bread at all? He's not talking about natural things at all. He's talking about spiritual forces. Beware of the religion for show. Beware of the hypocrisy that the Pharisees have where they have a form of religion and deny the power that goes along with it. Okay? It's all for show. And he says, do you not perceive? Do you still not understand? Now I don't think it's such a cool thing to be a disciple because they're being portrayed as kind of dense. Well, I'll go one more with you. Jesus rose from the dead. He's standing on the Mount of Olives. He ascends into he he's about ready to ascend into heaven. And the disciples ask him, they go, Jesus, is this the time now that you're going to restore to the kingdom, the kingdom to Israel? It's like, no, you guys aren't paying attention. It's not about that. This kingdom's going to pass away, but my kingdom's going to be going to last forever. His, he transcends the natural is the point. 
And the point is the disciples, uh, all this time, Jesus' questions are focusing on who he is. Now he's focusing on what they understand about who he is. See, this world is not our home. It doesn't matter whether Trump's president. It doesn't matter if someone comes four years later as another president. It doesn't matter if this world falls. It doesn't matter because this world is not our home. He goes to prepare a place for us, and he will come back for us so that we can be with him. So we are always looking forward. It's not pie in the sky, rainbows and unicorns, but let me tell you, when things get really dark, I'm looking to glory because I know that things that the way they are right now are not the way they ought to be and that God has something better prepared for us. There will be a new, one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we will know him as we are known. Do you still not see? Do you still not understand? I get being passionate about politics. I get being passionate about political issues. And there's a place for that. It's important for us to be in the marketplace. But church, let's not be more passionate about issues than we are about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who has the power to save and to restore and to bring life to the dead. Change our perception and change your life. Change your life, change others' lives. If you change your life, you will be salty, people will be thirsty, and they will ask. I love the story in 2 Kings with Elisha's servant where the king got mad at him and, and because uh, Elisha was always telling uh, the Israeli king about uh, what was happening. They were always getting defeated. And his people said there was a prophet in Israel. So the king said, well, we're going to go get the prophet. And he sent his army out to get him. And the servant got up, opened the door, and he saw the enemy's army camped about the hills. And he said, oh! And he runs in back inside and he tells Elisha, we're in trouble. And Elisha says, don't worry. There are more for us than are against us. He goes, what are you talking about? And Elisha prayed that his eyes would be opened into the spiritual realm. And he saw chariots of fire encamped all around the mountainside. Church, we need to get away from the natural. We need to understand that we serve a supernatural God who is for us, who can be against us. Why are we afraid? Why do we doubt? He transcends the natural. Question number seven, and I'm almost nearing the end here. Question number seven is also another scripture that I love. It's in John chapter 6, verses 66 and 67. Jesus starts talking about the bread of heaven. And you notice as he starts getting closer to Jerusalem, he starts thinning out the crowds. And he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And he, he's, he's talking in, in, in pictures that people are not getting, the crowds are not getting, not getting. How many know that masses of people come to church, they'll listen to the songs, they'll listen to good preaching, they'll, they'll be a part of whatever activities go along, but when things start getting difficult, they start getting, crowds start getting smaller. And his disciples said, this is a hard saying. And many of them turned away and followed him no longer. 
And it provoked a reaction in Jesus. He turned to the 12 and he asked, you're not going to leave too, are you? Now have that question permeate you a little bit. Let that marinate for you a little bit. Where do you go when things get hard? One of the things that I used to do, uh, I used to be a youth pastor, I used to speak to teenagers all the time, and when they got saved, I told them, I said, I want you to know, you know, they're all excited after they gave their heart to the Lord, and there's this, there's this uh, joy, rapture that they, that they feel. They're all excited. And I said, let me tell you, as soon as you walk out this door, you're going to start having difficulty. It's going to be either with your family, it's going to be with your friends, something's going to start happening, bad things are going to start happening to you. It's like, Oh, Pastor Mike, don't say that. Then we'll come back. Have to say that. Jesus talked about the road to heaven being a narrow gate and a rough path. And there's going to come times where you're going to want to give up and you're going to want to quit. And that's a question the Lord is asking you. Are you going to leave too? What are you going to do when the going gets tough? What are you going to do when it gets hard? Understand, Jesus promised us in this world we have, we'll have tribulation. Are we still in the world? Then tribulation is fair game. We're going to have difficulty. It's either going to happen to people that we love or it's going to, have to, it's going to happen to us. What are you going to do when the going gets tough? And what do the disciples say? Lord, to whom? Shall we go? Back to question one. You hold the words of eternal life. See, that's crossing the Rubicon. When, when Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon into Rome, there was no turning back. When he took the legions across, uh, he had committed treason against the state. He wasn't going back. He was either going forward to victory or they were all going to be, be crucified. That's total commitment. I forget the story of the guy who uh, burned his ships. Maybe you know that in history. You can remind me later. <laughs> when you burn your ship, you're not going back, are you? You either got to make it or die. Where do you go when things get tough? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. It doesn't matter what the enemy throws against me. I am the Lord's. Amen? See, isn't she a good preacher? That's good stuff. Number eight. <laughs> Put a star by this one. And I'm almost done. The next two will go really quick. Number eight. What does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired, God-breathed, and given for uh, correction, for reproof, for teaching, for doctrine, so that the man of God may be fully equipped. Our authority is the Word of God. It's not on our feelings. It's not on the culture. Okay? Well, but in today's day and age, it doesn't matter about today's day and age. How many know there's nothing new under the sun? Sin is still sin. Sin 2,000 years ago is still sin today. Okay? 
can't look at the culture. All the times have changed. Okay? Oh, but I feel, it doesn't matter what you feel. What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? The Word of God is our authority. and We need to stand upon it. We need to know it. That's why it's important for us to read the, God, read the Word of God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word so that you may grow. Well, I want to grow as a Christian. I just got to say, what do I do? Get your Bible and read it. Get your Bible and read it. Well, I need to go to this preacher and I need to go to that preacher. You need to go to the Word of God. And you need to say, Lord, I need you to teach me. And you know what? You know what I've learned? The Holy Spirit's a pretty good teacher. There's a lot of good Bible teachers out there. There's a lot of men, men of God who preach the Word. And it's good to, to get them around you. But the Holy Spirit is the best teacher. And say, Lord, I'm new at this. And you know what he gives you? He gives you a spirit of discernment. Whether you know it or you don't, you know what's, wrong, what's right and what's wrong. I'll give you a short illustration here. Uh, I was very new in the faith, and I told you on Sunday that I was really excited. I went to church like six, six out of seven days and twice on Sunday, and I was always looking to, to get around the Word. And I had some people come to my door, knock, knock on my door, and they wanted to tell me about the kingdom of God. And I said, all right, come on in. And we start talking, and they're telling me about the kingdom of God. And, and you know what? I didn't know very much, but what they were talking about wasn't jiving. It didn't have the right feeling in my spirit. And I come to find out that some of the things that I did know, they were kind of wrong in what they were telling me. So I felt the need to straighten them out. <laughs> and I did that for a while. I'd invite them in and sit them down, and we'd have coffee, and they had to, had to go, had to leave. God gives you a spirit of discernment. The Holy Spirit is a very good teacher. Don't be afraid. Ask him, Lord, show me. And you know what? I discovered that when I'm in error, God brings people around that love me to straighten me out. Because it's all about keeping a humble heart, right? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. When I know all the answers, there's not a whole lot of people that are going to try to change my mind. But as long as I'm willing to say, Lord, I don't know, help me. God sends people along to help shape that. Number nine. Almost done. Round in the bend, and I am... I hope I could go to 8.15 because I'm going to 8.15. Um, number nine, who touched me? Mark chapter 5, th verse 33. This is the woman with the issue of blood who tried in secret. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, Jesus is on his way somewhere else. Oh, he's so big, he's so important. I don't want to bother the master. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. And Jesus has all these people pressing around him, and he stops and says, who touched me? I'd love to be one of the disciples then. What do you mean, who touched you? There's people all over here touching you. It's like trying to find a kid at VBS that have, has dirty fingernails. You know, they all have it. You're not going to find it. Who put this fingerprint on the wall? Everybody. Who touched you? The point of that story is the woman wanted to go incognito. But Jesus loved her too much to allow that to be the way. He stopped her, gave her the full attention that she deserved, saying, you are important. 
your suffering is over. Okay? Again, back to question one. Who do you say that I am? He's the son of the most living, he is the son of the, the most high, son of the living God. And he loves you. Those two things go together. And so when he asked the question, who touched me? Do not try to be in secret or suffer in silence. You're too important to him. You have a church body that cares about you. We want to pray with you and for you. We're not promising magic is going to happen or gold dust is going to fall from the skies. We're promising you that we're going to stand with you and intercede on your behalf before the Lord because you are important and you matter to God. Last one. This is where you need to buckle your belt because this one is a hard one. This is at the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus has risen from the dead. The disciples are real excited uh, that he's alive, that they go fishing. They go back home to the Sea of Galilee and they go fishing. And as they're fishing, uh, someone yells from the shore and tells them to throw their nets on the other side. Um, because they didn't catch anything all night. And so as they do, they can't pull in the nets, and that's beginning to break. Peter has this great revelation that it's the Lord. So he jumps in and swims to shore. Jesus is already making them breakfast. They sit down, and as they eat breakfast, it comes apart in the story when Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he starts putting Peter on the spot. He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. And he asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. And he asks him a third time. And if you look in the scripture, it says that Peter got hurt. Because he asked him three times, do you love me? The cool thing about Jesus is that he knew that Peter denied him three times. I don't think any of the disciples knew that Peter denied him three times. But Peter did. And Jesus did. Three times. Do you love me? Search your heart, Peter. Do you love me? And do what, I, what I'm asking you to do. Do what I called you to do. Be the person that I've designed you to be. I love Peter. He looks at John. He says, what about him? <laughs> what about him? What's he going to do? Jesus focuses the spotlight on Peter. Church, I want you to focus the spotlight on you as you go home. Take those 10 questions and ask them of yourself. Understand who Jesus is. Understand how that fits each and every one of those points that our faith is not in what we do. Our faith is in who he is. There's no question to his ability. That it doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. It's not about us. It's about him. And as we start to make it more about him, then things start to become more in perspective. There was a song we used to sing, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Last one. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And I'm going to turn there, and we're going to wrap this up, and we're going to pray. 
Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, I like to underline, I underline this, ver- this part of this verse, continue to live in him. Just as you received Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. God has a purpose for us, church. It may not be, pres- be president of the United States. It may not be to be a movie star. It may not be to be famous. But it is to live for him. He saved us with a purpose. He called us for a purpose to live for him. And church, we need to do that. We need to quit looking at our neighbor and saying, that person needs to live for the Lord. We need to do it. We need to shine that spotlight and say, Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, shine the spotlight on my heart. Show me what I can change. Lord, make me like you. So that people, when they encounter me, they encounter the risen Lord who is shining through me. And that's what Jesus meant by saying we are the light of the world. It's not because we're so great. It's because he is so great shining through us. I'm just a vessel that he works through. And what happens is it takes the pressure off of you to be anything. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be talented. You simply have to have Jesus. Stand to your feet as we close. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe? Do you want to get well? Why are you so afraid? Why did you doubt? Do you still not see or understand? Are you also going to leave? What does Scripture say? Who touched me? Do you love me? Jesus' questions are not so much to give us to answer. They are to get us to think, what is this that we've really signed up for? Who is this person that we're following? What are the ramifications that are going to happen as we continue to follow Jesus throughout our lives? Because understand, it's a life journey. From the moment we say yes to Jesus to the moment we're glorified with him in heaven, we are on a journey. That journey's hard. That journey's bumpy. uh, That journey has heartaches. But it's a journey nevertheless. And what we need to do is keep in motion. How many ever ride a bike? What happens as soon as you stop pedaling? You fall over. Same thing in our, in our Christian life. Keep pedaling. Keep moving forward. It's to cause us to repent, to turn away from our sin, and to get on the right track. Jesus knows. He knows every sin we ever committed when we came to him. He knows every sin we're going to commit on the journey along the way. And he still chose you. Quit making it about you. Make it about him. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood is enough. And his blood is still available to you. Take advantage of it. Plead it. Lord, I know I've messed up. Here I am. I'm repenting. I'm turning away today. I want to go and sin no more. Yeah, but what about what you did? You said that. doesn't matter. What did Jesus say to Peter? 
70 times 7. Don't listen to the world's math. Listen to God's math. Repent. Doesn't matter how long you've been struggling. Doesn't matter how long. Come to the cross and lay it down now and walk away clean. Third is to return. Prodigal son was gone for a long time. He was gone for a long time. There was a lot of water under that bridge. And as I said on Sunday, he never stopped being his son. But the powerful part of the story is that the father was always the father. And that door was always open. And while he was gone, he was always looking. Doesn't take a big step. Takes just a little turn in direction. Come home. Jesus is calling, come home. You've suffered enough. You've tried on your own. Failure is not a good companion. Lay it down. Come on to Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for Sister Cindy who laid this out, gave me a framework, the questions that you asked to challenge us. And Lord, I pray now that you would anoint your word, that you'd speak to our hearts right now and challenge us. Lord, who are you? Let us get that in our head and in our soul and in our spirit about who you are. Because that makes all the difference. We don't have to struggle. We can rest in our faith. Because you got this. Do we believe? It doesn't take great faith, it takes small faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to knock. Help me to seek. Help me to ask. Help me to bring it to you. Help me to boldly go before the throne of grace, Lord. Check my motivations. Yes, I really want to get well. Help me with doubt and fear. Open my eyes so I can see in the spiritual realm and see that there's a lot more going on than what I see right in front of me. Help me to check it with the Word of God. Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter what's going on, what I see. It matters what God's word says. It's God's word that is, that is powerful and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit. Let me stand upon the word of God. Help me to understand, Lord, that I am not insignificant, but that I matter to you. And Lord, let me respond in kind by letting you know by living my life for you, that you matter to me. I pray, Lord, that you bless us as we go. That you would move mountains in people's lives, that you would slay giants that they're facing. But most of all, that you would let them know that you are with them through the good times and the bad times. And through the difficult times, you carry us, Lord. Because you are that friend that sticks closer than a brother. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
and amen. We're going to have you dismissed. Pastor Mark.